Hello everyone, I'm Eric Fletcher. Welcome to another episode of Chasing Better Conversations. From singing for the Queen to a career in broadcasting that took her to the news anchor desk to the professional conversations in which she engages today, Heather Sutty brings unusual diversity and a positive perspective. For the past two and a half decades, Heather has provided legal market strategy and management consulting services to premier law firms and legal service providers worldwide. She provides strategic direction on legal markets, marketing management, business development, and client retention. In Heather's own words, the objective is always the same a distinctive one-of-one position, generating greater market share, revenue, and profits. I have long admired Heather's work and have been looking forward to this conversation for some time. Heather, welcome in. It is a real pleasure to have you on today, and uh, I'm looking forward to our visit. And me too, Eric. Thank you very much for inviting me. So you know that around here we believe conversations are kind of the soundtrack of our days. When you think about where you are today, all that you do, is there a conversational theme or maybe one or two specific conversations you've had along the way that you look to as kind of pivotal in helping you to be, to land where you've landed today? (laughs) Well, where I landed today, I mean, it's been a circuitous route. Um, I certainly didn't aim to wind up where I am today. If you told me what I'm doing today, I, you know, 20 years ago, I thought you were crazy. But that said, I love what I get to do. And I didn't do it alone. And I certainly had um, influence and mentors and coaches. Really, there are two that stand out as having been um, highly influential And it would have been, I don't know, maybe 20-odd years ago. And one was a coach, a fellow named uh, Peter Shrive, who knew me very well. Hmm. And the other was David Meister, uh, (laughs) one of the world's leading authorities on the management of professional services firms. And the situation happened where I was working with uh, a wonderful law firm, terrific firm, and I was handling I was I was looking at the breadth of the firm how to maximize the firm um, as a whole and they came back to me and said we'd like you to concentrate um, on a particular practice which came to me as a surprise um, and not a particularly welcome one because that's you know if there's going to be a strength I look at the firm as an entity um, <laughs> rather than in its in its pieces and so I talked to, to Peter about this, and he was outraged, um, but then he had a tendency to either be very quiet or outraged. It was rarely something in the middle. But still, he knew me well enough to be able to give me an honest opinion. And I thought, you know, I need to talk to somebody who doesn't know me at all. And I've read every book that David Meister ever wrote and thought so well of him, and I thought, I wonder if I could find him. And I did. I found him. I called. I left a message. And to my astonishment, he called me back. And I gave him an outline of what was going on. And he spit back, well, I think you should do as you're told. If you do that, you'll be able to write your own ticket. 
<laughs> and uh, I thought, well, I'm, I'm already doing that, but still it was a different perspective. And, you know, to be able to get Peter's perspective and David's perspective and put them together, someone who knew me well, someone who didn't know me at all, it gave me a breadth of, you know, a range. And I thought, okay, I'm going to uh, step back and think about this, give it 24 hours, and I did. I slept on it, and I turned around the next morning and resigned. And I went back to my independent practice, and I haven't looked back since. And I credit those two gentlemen with giving me perspective and time and hearing me out and sharing their perspectives because it it meant the world to me then, and it still does now. Because, you know, when a client is asking you to do to change your scope mm-hmm. um, in the midway point, and, and I've done that before, but still I thought this doesn't quite speak to my strengths. And I always want to play to my strengths. I coach other people to do that too. So I have to do it myself. And I knew what I was being asked for didn't quite sit properly. But to be able to, as you say, get uh, perspectives from other people, is enormously helpful. I don't have all the answers. So to be able to get perspectives from other folks by having a conversation and using two ears and one mouth accordingly, (laughs) um, it it helped me enormously. Well, the, uh, you had me with, you had a conversation with David Meister. I mean, well, and what a privilege and what a a colorful individual i loved every second you know what it really wouldn't have mattered what he told me it was it was that i had david maester on the phone yeah yeah what a guy what conversations inside in particular in the legal market what conversations right now are dominating the landscape that uh, maybe we ought to back away from think about again the one that, that that's going around and around and around is about the work, uh, the work from home, the remote work, the hybrid work, whatever oh, yeah. you want to call it. I mean, it's it's certainly a challenge. I mean, the work from home issue is is something that is going to take a while to solve, um, and we're going to have to put people first instead of profits, and that's a real challenge. But being able to set aside the pandemic, and and yes, it was. For for people who lived through it, they'll they'll never forget it, and it's it changed so many lives in so many ways. But I think we need to understand that we need to move forward from here, and try not to revisit it as often as we do, or blame it for everything that happened. I tend to be a a person who believes that the future is forward. You know, we bring our past with us, but we need a fresh page, and we need. Uh, imagination and creativity to think about what we're going to do here because the way that we've done it isn't going to be the way that we do it because that's not going to work any more than things like five-year plans (laughs) are out the window (laughs) you know I mean anything any five-year plan that you made in 2020 is obsolete now um you 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 don't know what's going to happen a month from now so So being agile and creative and having the flexibility to think on your feet and execute fast, even if you fail. Failure is not an awful thing. I've learned more from failures than I have from successes. Yes. Um, and I don't think I'm alone in that respect. Yeah, for sure. Can we zero in on a piece or two of that? 
Sure. Think, of, think about the conversations that, let's just pick one that's maybe most problematic. How to put something ahead of profits. I oh. forget the way exactly that you characterized people it. People first. But, yeah, people first. So yeah. how do we approach it? What does that conversation, uh, the characteristics of the conversation look like? Any well, ideas on that? I have a few, um, and, and it goes back to the two ears, one mouth concept, which thank goodness people are built that way, um, although some you'd, you'd think it's the reverse. Um, but if we use uh, you know, two ears and one mouth, um, it means that we listen more carefully. And I think asking open-ended questions is really critical to that rather than asking questions that uh, lead to a yes or no answer, which you just, it's just a dead end. And I think open-ended questions enables uh, other people to think more creatively and be imaginative and take the time to express themselves, even if it takes a while for them to get there. Mm-hmm. I think it gives a little more opportunity for more expansive answers. Mm -hmm. And I think when you, when you, when you get those different perspectives, like I did with, with, with David Maester and and other people I talked to, I think that is cumulative and it adds to the richness of the result. When you are able to do that and you are able to demonstrate a people first attitude, if you do it the right way, that will lead to even higher profits because you've got a group of people with you who are engaged in the same process and steps and results that you are. So I want to push you just a little bit, if and you can push back. If, if we, I suspect we have a consultant or two that's listening in. If they want to engage in this conversation of people first, where do they begin? How, how do you have a framework for that conversation? I know it's an impossible question. Well, <laughs> it depends who you're talking to. Um, sure. And, you know, this is when I find the one-on-one conversations are the most valuable. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking to the masses can be a challenge on a good day. Mm-hmm. And if you're able to have one-on-one conversations, it makes... Uh, the other person feel more special. At least I hope it does. I mean, I certainly feel special talking to you. We're having a one-on-one conversation. Mm. And that's that's really valuable to me. And I find, I hope, that it would be valuable to have with other people the one-on-one conversations where you really do listen carefully to nuances and you probe for clarity. Um, around some of the statements that people make. And I mean, I do that with clients of law firms when, when I'm, uh, you know, doing client interviews. Mm-hmm. And, but the challenge, the thing, actually, it's not a challenge. It's something that I employ from years ago is that if you let silence sit for a minute and you're having a conversation and it's quiet, sometimes that gives the other person or you time to think (laughs) we're so busy thinking about what we're going to say next in the conversation that we don't allow for that time for people to just collect their thoughts in their minds 
before they enunciate them. I find that the quieter I am, the more I listen and the more I learn. As a consultant, you come in with uh, a perspective. Clearly, you have a perspective because you you knew enough to, to uh, in the example of a conversation with, with uh, Maester, you knew enough to know that this was not a direction you were willing to go. So h- how do you have a conversation with your convictions solidly in place without imposing an agenda on that conversation? Does that make sense? The keeping an open mind um, can be a real challenge, although it shouldn't be if we allow ourselves other perspectives. Mm. And so the open mind, even though I might have a perspective, I will never know a client's business as well as they do. I will never know their lives as well as they do. Because I'm a curious person, um, and I think consultants who are worth their salt are probably curious people, (laughs) they will use that trait to learn more. Learning more about other people, I have gone in with some preconceived notions that are just as wrong as they can be. And when you get learning about other people's perspectives and how they work and how they live, you wind up with a different result. And that's the result that's customized to that individual, which is where you want to get to anyway. So it's a collaborative approach. It's give and take. It's, that's what conversation is. That's what life is if you're going to live it in a happy way. Yeah, the challenge is so so often is uh, I I know what I believe I believe what I believe is right, and let me just help you get there, mm-hmm. uh, which is uh, that that that's certainly a, a disease in personal relationships, and I, I suspect it spills over. I'm I'm sure it spills over into our professional arena as well. What other conversations, uh, hot topics, you, the, you hit on the work from home, any mm-hmm. other big themes that you see that it makes sense for us to think about how to have this open, curious, new perspective uh, approach to? You know, the other one is about technology. <laughs> um, uh, you know, AI is a mystery to many people. Yeah. Um, I certainly don't know it as well as I am probably going to have to. I'm probably going to have to learn about that, um, and it will be, it will be an interesting, it will be an interesting adventure. But particularly in the legal sphere, um, that is so careful about being right and being right the first time. Um, AI is 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 daunting. It's daunting and. And how it will be used is going to be the trick. Yeah, no question. I had a conversation with uh, Brian Miller, who is um, a consultant, um, deals with human connection. And (laughs) Brian posits that uh, there are two questions. One is we need to uh, be sure we know all we know. How does AI affect my business? How can I utilize it? Do I know everything? What you've just alluded to. Do I know everything I should know about AI? The second thing, and this one really intrigues me and I love it, is that we are, as a people, as 
as a as as human beings are going to go grow increasingly skeptical of everything. We're not going to believe anything we see is true. Hope, hopefully, we're we're getting near that anyway. Is that really you, <laughs> or is that an avatar of you, Heather? So, but the 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 byproduct of that is that we are there is a huge advantage for companies, firms, us in our individual relationships to figure out how to hold on to our humanity, to be more human. And I, I, I find that a really great balance to the fear of what the heck is this AI thing. Mm -hmm. You have thoughts on that? Well, you know, I think he's got a point and I hope he's got a point because mm -hmm. um, to be able to push back from the computer, mm. uh, I find when I push back from the computer, my shoulders come down, I start to relax, I start to breathe a little deeper. And when I'm able to connect with people in real life, it's, it's, it's an enormous pleasure, it's an honor, it's fun, it's spontaneous. You are seeing the real deal when you meet someone <laughs> face to face. Face to face, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's it's really I find it exciting and especially and I always did, but especially more so now because I mean you and I are talking through a computer, which is spectacular. I can see you, but I would love to see you if you were right here <laughs> in real life right now it would be spectacular you can read body language you can get a real sense of the individual let's do a little bit of the lightning round if you're up for that <laughs> yeah first, absolutely first question is it has nothing to do with conversations though you might have a conversation or two that apply to this what was it like to sing for the queen Oh my goodness. Wow. That came right out of left. Oh. <laughs> wow. Well, you did that, your homework. That, that's um, what we do. <laughs> well, yes. Um, it was, it was a privilege. It was a privilege. Um, it was a long time ago. It was, a I think a visit in 1972 or thereabouts. And, uh, the queen and the Duke of Edinburgh were visiting Canada. They were at, uh, High Park, which is a, uh, a mm -hmm. huge, natural environment in the center of Toronto. And uh, I was privileged to be able to sing for the Queen while she was here. And it was wonderful. It was the hottest day of the year, probably something like it is in Toronto right now, which is in the high 90s and we're, we're all melting. But uh, I was not in air-conditioned comfort. I was outdoors in the hot driving sun, head to toe in polyester, and <laughs> <laughs> cooking, absolutely cooking. But that aside, to be able to see the Queen and to see the Duke of Edinburgh and be, be able to sing for them was an enormous uh, privilege, um, one that I will never forget. And uh, when the Queen died, you probably noticed that I, I blogged about it. Yeah. I was very moved uh, by her death. And it was one of those instances where the blog just came out in one long streak. It only took about 20 minutes. I made a couple of edits. It was that easy. I never write that quickly, but bang out it came. And I posted it and I thought, well, there, that's it. It was picked up by a, a national newspaper, much to my surprise. Um, but to be able to write about that experience um, called the Queen's Fish was 
was a lot of fun. And it, and it gave me an opportunity to go back in time myself and revisit those days. So thank you. You've done, you've done it again. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, so we have a love of music. Uh, you're, you're much more accomplished than I, uh, we have a love of music in common. Another thing we have in common is time in broadcasting. Mm. Um, Mm-hmm. 30 seconds, 60 seconds on uh, the best and the worst of, of uh, being a broadcaster. The best was I got to, I had more fun um, in, in, in newsrooms than you can ever imagine. Um, in those days, at least, they were absolutely wacky, uh, great fun, big, buoyant personalities, as you can imagine. Um, and it was just, it was you hated to be away a day because you might miss something. So, <laughs> yeah. so of course, we would all show up. Of course, if you missed something and you weren't there, you'd be bulletined at home. Yeah. Uh, but it was, it was an enormous pleasure. Um, I got to do some terrific stuff, you know, whether it was television or radio or print, um, covered the whole gamut, and got to work with some wonderful talent. And, again when you work in a news environment, you've got all of the stories of the day and you've got all the different perspectives and you've got all of those different takes and you've got to have more than two sides to every story, which as you know, is part and parcel of all of that. It was a lot of fun. Um, the difficult part, probably some instances where I had to be up at two o'clock in the morning um, <laughs> for a morning show, which nobody should be getting up at two in the morning. This is abnormal, um, <laughs> or at least it was to me at the time. Um, so I owe myself a lot of sleep. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Anybody that spent very much time in uh, radio and TV owes themselves yeah. a lot of sleep. I, we hit yeah. you hit on the uh, what I would have said the, the the downside of broadcasting is the hours. It's terrible, but for sure, for sure, it. and it's not as glamorous as people like to think. Absolutely not. There's not too much glamorous about it when you get right down to it. Yeah. Is there a book that you would recommend that you believe would uh, instigate great conversations anywhere, home, work, yeah. play? Um, the, the book that I, and I reread it every year, uh, is The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. <laughs> and it is a book that if I was going to... Um, encapsulated in a nutshell is about uh, setting your ego aside so that you can move forward without it. And ego isn't, doesn't mean that, you know, it's not about conceit. It's not about thinking you're the greatest thing that ever walked. It's about the, um, the parameters, the boundaries, the false walls that we set up around ourselves, whether it's our thinking, our behavior, uh, our expectations to be able to move those out of the way. It's essentially about getting out of your own way yeah. um, and living in the present. And honestly, I haven't, at least to this point in my life, been particularly good at living in the present. I have a tendency to forecast and plan and do all those kinds of things. Well, if you want to make God laugh, make plans. Um, so, uh, <laughs> But but rereading this book is a constant reminder to me to be able to push that aside and to be open to what's going to happen. 
we all have to be open to what's going to happen. We had to do that two and three years ago when the world changed and we couldn't do very much about it. Uh, and you have to learn to let go and go into that flow and deal with it. Um, and that's what this book is about. And I found it um, enormously powerful um, to be able to get me to think outside myself um, and to look at people kind of outside of my expectations of who they are, because they are probably quite different than who I presume them to be. And oftentimes I find that to be the case, and I am delightfully surprised. So uh, the power of now is something that um, it means a lot to me, and I've recommended it to others. That's a great recommendation. That, that is, that's, it's sort of the recipe for good conversation. Get out of your way. Get out of your own way. Get over yourself, I think. Well, it, that's exactly it. It's about yeah. getting over yourself. And, but a lot of us do that. We, you know, we, we come into yeah. the world and often professional services with our armor on. And we wear our armor so that we can feel safe. It doesn't mean that someone's out to get us. It's that we need to feel safe. And yeah. we can feel safe without our armor. Um. We don't need, need our armor or a professional title to be impressive. Yeah. Finally, uh, in the lightning, in the spirit of a lightning round, one or two people you would love to have a conversation with today, living or dead? You, well, you know, um, the person who I would love to have a conversation with um, would be Jim Hansen. Um, and he was the creator of the Muppets and Sesame Street. And in fact, we crossed paths at a television station I was working at years ago. And I am never starstruck. I've, I've met some pretty famous people, and I don't get starstruck. It's just not my thing. But he came swinging out of a dressing room, and I looked at him, and honestly, Eric, I nearly fainted. Starstruck, um, yeah. And it was such a strong reaction that I just froze up, and I couldn't say anything. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't turn left or right. But the reason I would love to talk to Jim Hansen is to thank him for all of the work that he did with those puppets and his amazing ability to be able to teach using those puppets, um, adults and children. I mean, I know adults today who learn to speak French thanks to Sesame Street. But I think his, his, his major lesson was to let everybody know that they're okay just as they are. And I think that was the big gift of the Muppets. So to, to be able to, to do that, what a creative person. What a thoughtful person. I mean, that's creativity and imagination and all that fabulous stuff, all encapsulated in one person who gave so much to so many. I think he's a fabulous guy. And to this day, uh, my favorite Muppet is Sweetums. <laughs> Sweetums. Sweetums is the scary but sweet ogre. <laughs> yep. Now, I, I would, uh, I'd pay money to eavesdrop on that conversation <laughs> if, you, if you have it. <laughs> You'd be invited you to join it. in. Are you kidding? <laughs> yeah, that's great. To say that we are in a strange time, uncertain times, okay. maybe uneasy times, is uh, stating the obvious to, to most of us. What 
conversations inside the professional services space, law firms in particular, but uh, any of these service industries that we visit with and work with, what one or two conversations do you think ought to be foundational? I think that this is an opportunity, um, and uncertainty is, is relative, but and we're always going to have uncertainty in some way, shape, or form. But I think Great point. it's an opportunity to differentiate, to dare to be different. It's not an awful thing. It's like Jim Hansen of the Muppets. <laughs> His message was, you're okay just as you are. And I think that ability to dare to be different is a really, it's a valuable trait. And I think if we can play to our strengths in that respect, and be different, and dare to be different, we are going to attract people who are attracted to us. I mean, you are who you attract. And those people will come to you if you're just you. I believe that um, to be true, and I've coached people in that respect. And it ends up happening every time, every blessed time. They take off their armor. They just are themselves. They play to their strengths. They dare to be different. The next thing you know, they are, they've got a vibrant practice and a healthy, happier life. And isn't that what it's all about? But so, Heather, so. but Heather if, if I dare to be different, I might miss out on this person over here that would hire me. So what? <laughs> so, so you know what? And that's what I say. So what? Um, uh, strategy is about knowing when to say no. And it's about... exactly understanding that it's okay to miss the air quote opportunities that you think are going to change your life. They may not. You, you may be wiser to just let that pass by because it, you know, it's like a bus. There's going to be another one in five minutes. And that might be if you leave yourself open and you have availability, that might be the very best person with the most spectacular opportunity for you to meet them and work with and, your life takes off in a different direction. And I think that's the exciting part. Um, but that that involves creativity and having a sense of yourself, um, but being open um, and being creative and imaginative. I think we're all born with imagination and creativity. I think we get closed in with uh, boundaries and lifestyles and all of that. So when you open yourself up to see what's coming next, I think that's very exciting. And there are going to be opportunities. And as I said, you attract uh, who you are. And if who you are is a good person with an open heart, then you're going to attract that. <laughs> Let's do a little bit of inside baseball. If uh, this might be a little too much and it might make the tape, it might not. Well, you know what? I, I lived through your question about the Queen, so. <laughs> so so you've already come at me out of left field. Let's see what you can do this time. Well, this won't be left field. The, the Let's talk about a law firm that services 20 different business verticals. They have all the practice groups, 20 or 30 mm -hmm. or whatever. Mm -hmm. What kind of conversation do you have with the management of that firm that, or the leadership team of the firm to encourage them or, or to, to sell them on this idea 
of putting a stake in the ground. When you say be different, I, I, I sort of immediately think about, say who you are, put a stake in the ground. And that means that you may not be a tax firm, right? Right. What do you say, what do you say to that group? Well, the first thing I say is there's no such thing as a full service firm. <laughs> what? Um, <laughs> and you know, sometimes I <laughs> you got and that to be usually kidding. gets a strong reaction. <laughs> um, yeah, but but the, I mean that's just that's just ludicrous. There is no such thing. It's an oxymoron. Uh, there is no such firm that does every single type of law. And so to say that you're full service is is not true. Where is your strength? What is it that you do best? Where do you want to grow? Not necessarily to match what's happening in the market or to respond to what's happening in the market, but where are the strengths of this firm? Who are the strong talents? Uh, where is the money coming from? What's keeping the lights on? So I have a tendency to go through the money. <laughs> you, you need to understand where where your profitability is. And profitability isn't the same as revenue. But there are law firms that don't operate as businesses. And that is exactly what the nut is, I think, that you're asking about is how do we get to the nut? Um, and it's a matter of going through the financials, finding out where the nut is, or, or more than one if you've got strengths. And you build toward that. You hire toward that. That's what businesses do. They are not private clubs. When, when, you look, when you move away all the things that are ancillary, I think that's when you can get down to what is the core of this firm. What is its strength? Let's plant our flag in the ground, rally the troops around it, and defend the hill. And that takes a certain amount of intestinal fortitude, it's something worth contemplating, but really, it's certainly only for the brave, in my experience. You you alluded to it, or you spoke about it a few moments ago when you said strategy is knowing when to say no. That That's really what we, strategy is knowing who you are and where the guardrails are. And, and mm -hmm. that uh, sometimes involves saying, yeah, we're not this. Let's take a, a minute or two here and, and talk about your business in particular uh, based in Toronto. I can't believe it. You, you got, it sounds like you're as hot as we are in Texas right now, recording this in the it middle of like summer. It is like being in Texas here. Jeez, it's ridiculous. But you serve clients globally. Talk just for a minute about what you do, the kinds of people you are, who you, uh, you attract who you are. So talk about uh, who you attract. Well, I attract probably the leaders of, of premier law firms. I am fortunate and um, I do get to work with some fabulous firms. Um, I am careful about the clients I take on. I want to be fully involved in what I'm doing. Uh, I'm passionate about what I do. So I want to work with like-minded folks. And those are usually um, business-oriented lawyers, regardless of where they are in the world. Premier law firms tend to be um, the base of, of my client roster, mm -hmm. thankfully. My, my value in a nutshell is that I enable audacious lawyers and law firms to become one of one. That's mm -hmm. what I do. There's, there's nothing that thrills me more than to see a client who has a problem get around that problem and be successful. 
that's what it's all about. And I'm privileged to get to do what I do and to work with the fabulous people who I'm fortunate enough to attract. So if people want to get in touch with you, follow you, keep up with what you write, how do they do that? Yeah. Uh, you, can, you can learn everything about me and about my singing to the Queen. There we go. At, <laughs> at heathersati.ca. Heathersati.ca. That's it. Quick and easy. Quick this, and easy. This has been this has been a blast. Can we do it again? I would love to. I'm such a fan of yours, Eric, and I am so flattered that you even asked me to join uh, you today. With, so you this are is in, a thrill. For you're me. incredibly kind. I appreciate it, and uh, we will definitely do it again because uh, can I can flip that script and say I'm a fan of yours as well. Thanks for being here today. Thank you. Thank you so very much. It's tough for me to limit my takeaways from this visit with Heather, but she reminded me of two cornerstones if we are really serious about laying the groundwork for better conversations. First of all, we simply need to get over ourselves. And then closely related to this, perspective is the whole name of the game. We set ourselves up for meaningful communication when we do the hard work that's related to understanding the perspectives of the individuals, the audience, or the market with which we aspire to connect. Thanks for the focus, Heather. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider following wherever you acquire your podcast content. And until next time, here's to building bridges with respectful, curious, and honest conversations.